Hello and welcome to Malice of Forethought UK, a true crime podcast which will bring you some of the famous, infamous and lesser known true crime stories from here in the UK and across the globe. I'm your host, Kel, and all the facts and information have been researched by me and are in the public domain. As with all true crime podcasts, there may be some descriptions of crimes that are distressing or disturbing so listener's discretion is advised at all times. Sit back, listen, and feel free to join our forum, a link of which is in the episode description, to discuss this and other true crime stories. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Malice of Forethought UK, true crime podcast. I'm your host, Kel, and for my first episode, I've picked a local story to me, up in the northeast of England. The story is of a young woman named Kirsty Carver. She had her whole life ahead of her. And while going out about her general business, one night she found herself at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong man who tragically took her life away from her. There has been a lot of media attention recently particularly following the death of Sarah Everard at the hands of an off-duty policeman. And only in the last week, the story of poor 28-year-old Sabina Nessa, who was attacked and killed whilst walking through a park literally five minutes from her house of an evening, just going to meet her friend in the pub. And many of us question whether things will ever change when it comes to violence against women and girls. And as this story shows, things haven't changed. When Kirsty was killed, there was no social media. This story was not given the same media attention as recent deaths. And so I felt that it was only right that Kirsty's story was told. And this episode is dedicated to her. Willoughby is a suburb on the westernmost fringes of the city of Hull, which is on the east coast of England. Willoughby itself sits halfway between the Humber Bridge, which is the UK's longest single-span suspension bridge and the market town of Beverley. On the westernmost edge of that area, there is a small shopping park. There's a McDonald's, a Waitrose, Home Bargains and some other shops surrounded by a large car park. As you drive out of the car park, you go uphill and at the top of the hill, there is a petrol station And in 1998, that is where Kirsty lost her life. On the evening of the 4th of March 1998, Kirsty, who was a civilian employee with Humpside Police, had spent the evening visiting friends. Kirsty was a petite brunette with long, curly, dark hair. She was originally from Withensea, which is a small seaside town on the east coast, but she had moved to Hull, which is the nearest city, 
for work and she was at the start of her life, pretty, young, vibrant and popular. Until the night of her death, she had actually been in a relationship with a homicide police officer called PC Graham Jones. The relationship had begun to have problems following Kirsty having a car accident the previous year and was suffering from depression and she had in fact left the home she shared with PC Jones and had returned to Withensee and was back living with her parents. Initially on the night in question she had planned to spend the evening with Graham and spend the night with him. She prepared a meal at his home before he started the night shift but that very evening he told her that he no longer saw a future in their relationship. At the subsequent trial, PC Jones was called to give evidence about that particular night and he said that after the meal I expressed to Kirsty that it wasn't appropriate for us to carry on in the way we were. She was upset and left before I went to work. No arrangements were made to see her when I finished work in the early hours. But Kirsty was obviously very upset by this breakup and she left his house at quarter past seven that evening and rather than return to her parents' home, she decided to visit two friends who lived in the area. After leaving the first of those friends, she went on to spend until the early hours of the 5th of March 1998 with the second of those friends a woman called Jarrett Farrand. After several hours of being a shoulder to cry on, Janet told Kirsty that she was tired and had to get up early in the morning to take her young son to school. Janet offered Kirsty a bed for the night, but she turned it down, telling her that she planned to convince PC Jones to reconsider by waiting for him outside work when he finished his shift at 4am at Hesel Police Station, which is close to the Humber Bridge. Again at the subsequent trial, Janet was called on to testify about what happened that evening. Janet told the court, she said she was going on to a nightclub to meet friends and would then go on and see Graham. At about 1.45am I invited her to stay the night because it was late and she could get up and go and see Graham at 4am when he finished work if she wanted, but she declined. And I said she would have to go because I had to take my son to school in the morning. She went to her car and I never saw her again. Kirsty was waved off by Janet as she got into her car, a Toyota Celica, outside her friend's house at 1.45. This was the last time anyone, except her murderer, saw her alive. Andrew Campbell QC, who was the prosecutor at the trial, said this was a fateful decision and had she accepted that offer, no doubt she would be alive today. Janet lived on Wold Road, which is a residential street in West Hull, which leads on to Willoughby Road, and Kirsty must have headed up west, uphill, along Willoughby Road and into Willoughby, and then towards the Willoughby Hill shopping park. Whether she planned to just fill up with fuel or was wasting time until PC Jones finished his shift, we will never know. But eventually, she probably was then aiming to take the road south towards the Humber Bridge area and turn east towards Hesel Police Station. But she never arrived to meet him. 
In the early hours of the 5th of March 1998, a Toyota Celica was discovered abandoned and unlocked with the keys still in the ignition on a quiet farm track near Willoughby, approximately a half a mile from the shopping park. There was blood inside the car and it was clear something was wrong. Smears of blood were found on the inner surface of the driver's door and traces of blood were found on the steering wheel. Calling in the registration number, the police officer called to the scene realised it was registered to a member of Humberside Police staff and immediately detectives were called in who launched a desperate search for the owner. The car was impounded to analyse it further and Kirsty's family were contacted. Janet was obviously under suspicion immediately. She was arrested and interviewed under caution while the police continued their investigation. Janet was a known friend of Kirsty and they worked together. Also, Kirsty had told the first friend she had visited that evening that she was going on to Janet's house and Janet only lived a couple of miles from where the car was abandoned and it would seem inconceivable that only hours after going to visit her friend, Kirsty could have met a mysterious fate at the hands of someone she did not know. But that is exactly what happened. Within less than an hour of leaving Janet's home, Kirsty had been horrifically killed in what seemed a motiveless attack at the hands of a stranger. There was a lot of local news coverage into Kirsty's disappearance and following appeals to the public there was a local determination to help find Kirsty and this was never more evident than during a mass search when about three and a half thousand people and 300 soldiers met at the Humber Bridge to help scour hundreds of square miles in search for her. The search lasted more than a month and ended with the tragic discovery of her body. Meanwhile, her distraught parents Vanessa and Arthur made a number of emotional appeals for information. Her body was eventually found in the undergrowth by police dogs and handlers who found her half-buried body during a search with the army at an isolated spot known as Spern Point, about a month after her abandoned car was found. The geography of Spern Point is quite unusual. It's a narrow sand tidal island located off the top of the coast of the East Riding of Yorkshire and its tip curls into the North Sea and forms the north bank of the mouth of the Humber estuary. It is known as a spit. It has a semi-permanent connection to the mainland. But after a storm in 2013, it actually became impassable to vehicles at high tide. But back in 1998, you could drive to the end of Spen Point. The island is just over three miles long and almost half the width of the estuary at that point and it can be as little as 50 yards wide in places. The southernmost tip is known as Spen Head or Spen Point and is the home to the RNLI lifeboat station and two disused lighthouses. It's about 30 miles from Willoughby and you have to drive through Hull and out again at the other side to get to Spen Point from the west. So the journey would take approximately an hour from the Willoughby Park petrol station. When Kirsty's remains were discovered, they had to use jewellery and other personal items to identify her.
and the post-mortem revealed that she had died from head injury. She had in fact been bludgeoned to death with a hammer. This led to the arrest of Mr Craig Belcher, a 24-year-old local man who worked at the Willoughby Park petrol station. He lived approximately two miles from the Humber Bridge and he was arrested after three of his friends saw the media coverage of Miss Carver's disappearance and made a series of telephone calls to the Humberside Police. The friends advised that Belcher had contacted them and offered them money to help him dispose of a body and they had refused. At his trial at Sheffield Crown Court that year he pleaded not guilty and a motive was never really established for the murder but the series of events were outlined. Sheffield Crown Court heard that Kirsty had visited the petrol station on the outskirts of Hull in the early hours of the 5th of March 1998. Andrew Campbell QC, who acted for the prosecution, said Mr Belcher attacked her with a hammer and hid her body, which was not found for a month, or in fact, 35 days. He said, what caused him to attack her, the prosecution don't know. Whether she had been subjected to some sort of advance which she had rebuffed, we cannot say. But we do know she was left lying in the storeroom floor, bleeding heavily with fatal head injuries. The jury heard how Kirsty went to the petrol station where Mr Belcher was working the night shift, alone, and the petrol station was locked. It is not known if Kirsty had visited Belcher there previously, or if they knew one another, as no one except Belcher will truly know what happened. But Belcher waived the company rules and allowed Kirsty into the locked shop. It was while she was there that she was attacked before being dragged into the back storeroom and blood was later found in that back room. Forensic examination showed that blood stains were found on the floor of the storeroom which matched Kirsty Carver's blood. We shall invite you to conclude Kirsty received the blows causing her rapid death in that storeroom. The prosecutor Mr Campbell told the jury Mr. Campbell said traces of Mr. Belcher's blood were found on the inside of the driver's door of Kirsty's car. The blood on the steering wheel was, it was concluded, transferred from him when he drove the car from the scene and was possibly wearing blood-soaked gloves. It was also concluded that the, after the murder, Belcher had abandoned his post and left Kirsty in the lock shop while he drove her Toyota Celica car to an isolated road nearby and returned to the garage on foot. An employee from a nearby firm had called at the petrol station during a break from work and was told over the tannoy by Belcher that the petrol pumps were not working and he could not be served at that time, so he went to get petrol elsewhere. However, a short time later he had passed the garage on his way back and noticed it was in darkness, no one was there and no cars were on the forecourt. Following the murder, after returning from dumping her vehicle, Belcher then tried to clean up the bloodstains in the petrol station before dragging her body into the boot of his own car. A handyman who worked at the garage later testified that he noticed his hammer had been missing from his toolbox. So following the tip-offs to the police, Belcher was arrested 
and when interviewed, he had told a story about working for a drug dealer called Andy, who he blamed for Kirsty's murder. Belcher claimed he was a drug runner for one of the gang, and he said he was told the attack was connected to a drug turfs war, in which Miss Carver had unwittingly been caught up in because she was friends with a dark-skinned man. He also claimed that Kirsty had been driven away by Andy, and she was alive and well when she left the filling station, and he had been left to clean up the evidence. Andrew Campbell QC told the court his account was a complete fabrication. The jury at Sheffield Crown Court took five hours to find him guilty of battering to death, Kirsty. There were cries of delight from her family in the public gallery as the jury delivered the verdict. But Belcher merely looked at her family and shook his head, muttering to himself. Passing sentence, Mr Justice Hooper told Belcher, You are an intelligent and cunning man. You are a convincing liar, as well as a very dangerous one. The judge said Belcher had done his utmost to conceal his crime, compounding the anguish of her family. He also said there was no truth in his defence claims that Miss Carver was involved in giving information to drug dealers which she was obtaining during her work from the National Crime Computer. It was recommended that Craig Belcher serve a minimum of 18 years for killing Kirsty Carver. In 2020, after he had served over 20 years, he made a bid for freedom. On the Hull Daily Mail website, it says that one of Hull's most notorious killers could soon be moved to an open prison after a bid to set him free was recommended for refusal. The parole board hearing had been held to determine whether Craig Belcher could be released after he was jailed for 18 years in 1999 for killing a civilian police worker. Miss Carver was bludgeoned to death in a horrific hammer attack in Willoughby. It was a brutal crime which shocked the city, and while a bid to have him released looks to have failed, life could soon be made easier for him. A spokesman for the parole board had said they had made a decision not to release Belcher following an oral hearing, but recommended he is now suitable to move to open conditions. The recommendation will then go to the Ministry of Justice, who will make a final decision. Offenders are sent to an open prison after they have spent a certain amount of time in jail and they have behaved themselves. The parole board can decide to send someone to an open prison, but the decision will not be taken lightly as they have to look at the overriding factor of risk to the public. If the risk against benefits is finely balanced, the risk to the public will always be the deciding factor. It goes on to explain how Kirsty had visited the petrol station and Belcher murdered her there and blood was found in the back room and how three and a half thousand people met at the Humber Bridge to scour hundreds of square miles of land in order to look for her body which was eventually found. It also goes on to say that Belcher has still never given any explanation for the killing. 11th March this year was International Women's Day. 
Labour MP Rosie Duffield spoke to the House of Commons during the day and said, we are tired of having to preempt possible violence, of having to risk assess every ordinary action every day, every hour of our lives. Kirsty was undertaking an ordinary action that women throughout the country undertake every day, every hour of her life. She did not need to risk assess. She entered a well-lit petrol station in a residential area in a city not known for gun crime, knife crime or particularly many murders. Her boyfriend was a Humberside police officer, her friends were police officers, she worked for the police and yet her life was taken from her because she met a man who had the urge to kill her at the time when she happened to be in the wrong place. This happens time and time again to women in this country and social media is flooded with stories of women sharing their fears and experiences of abuse and harassment and reassurances from the police just do not seem to be enough. Because he has never admitted to his crime, he's never given a motive. You can only surmise that she was either a surrogate, she reminded him of somebody who he wanted to kill, or she rebuffed him, which she is entitled to do. Or in the alternative, an urge just came over him. But that's very doubtful. People don't become killers overnight. That said, could he have gone on to kill again if he hadn't have been so inept, calling his friends, asking them to help him dispose of the body, taking a hammer from his colleague's toolkit, cleaning up the blood, dumping the car less than half a mile from where he worked. Could we have had a serial killer on our hands? That we'll probably never know, but it, it does sound quite likely. And in the meantime, women like Sarah Everard walk the streets and come in to meeting the wrong man at the wrong time and they don't make it home safely and that's a terribly scary thought for women everywhere thank you for listening